Uh, good morning and welcome here. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm the campus pastor here at the Fish Creek campus. We are continuing our series on, called One Anothering this morning. Uh, there are 59 occurrences in Scripture where it talks about how we relate to one another. And uh, so we, we don't have time to go through all of them, but we've selected a few of them in this series to kind of look at that we, we think are powerful and timely uh, for us. And, uh, and this morning we're looking at forgiving, as you may have guessed from the, from the video there, forgiving one another. Uh, at this time, I'm going to invite the ushers forward. If you uh, don't have a Bible or you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we'd love to lend you one for the morning. If you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift to you. Uh, and uh, if you have a phone or iPad or tablet, obviously you can use those as well. Uh, but we're looking at Colossians 3.13 this morning, and we're going to put it on the screen here, and I'm going to invite you guys to read it. It's a nice, short, but powerful verse here with me. So uh, let's read it together. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiving. It's a nice idea until you have to do it. Uh, it's a nice idea when you're the one being forgiven, uh, but it's difficult when you're the one that is doing the forgiving. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, this morning, it's, uh, as, as we kind of go through the content this morning, you might feel different emotions rising up within you. And I would encourage you to pay attention to your emotions and ask the Lord, what is that emotion about? Uh, what am I feeling that tension around? Uh, because often it's those places that the Lord wants to speak to us. And so, um, yeah, I believe that the word of forgiving is, is one of the most powerful and encouraging words we can receive, uh, but it's also one of the most challenging things that the Lord invites us into. Um, so I'm just going to pray uh, as we kind of dive in this morning. Uh, Father, we... As I've been mentioned already, God, we thank you for your forgiveness. Um, and Lord, we thank you for the, the open arms uh, that you welcome us back, Lord, that you run to us. Uh, and uh, Father, as we consider forgiving and uh, considering who we need to forgive this morning, God, I pray that you would tend to our hearts. Lord, I pray against... Uh, any defensive posture, Lord, that rises up within us that is not from you, uh, God, that you would uh, disarm us this morning, Lord, to receive uh, forgiveness, Lord, but also to empower us to give it away. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, and this kind of comes on the heels of Jesus. If you're familiar with Matthew 18, you know that Jesus gives some uh, parameters and guidelines for how you deal with conflict and sin in a community. If a brother sins against you, uh, you know, you go and you speak to your brother one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, and if he still is not listening or does not, is not able to hear you, then you would take another and go to that brother. And if he's still not listening or able to hear you, then you would go uh, with somebody maybe in a position of authority uh, to confront that brother. And uh, it's on the heels of this that Peter asks Jesus this question. 
It says, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, well, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven, which equals 490. Some of you got it. Good job. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors had, was brought in who owed him a million dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he, that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave him his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Strong parable. It's a hard word. And yet we, we understand the principle of it intuitively. You know, I have, I have a few boys, uh, three to be exact, and uh, one of them is in service with me today, so I'm going to be selective on... Uh, I'm going to tell a generic story that I'll just tell you has occurred countless times in our home. And the story basically goes like this. Uh, one of our boys gets uh, something given to them, candy. Uh, you know, if it's candy, it's probably your youngest son. But uh, he gets candy, and then his brothers say, can I have some candy? And it's followed by the younger brother saying, no, which was followed by dad saying, share, because why? Because I bought, because I want some. That's, that's true. It's true. That's, that's usually part of it. Um, but it's also teamed with the comment of, who paid for that candy? And I say, well, you did. And I said, well, Aren't you glad that I gave you candy? Yeah. Do you want me to take it away? No. So, share. So I, I've had that conversation, I swear, hundreds of times in my home, uh, whether it's about toys or candy, um, over and over again. And, and so we understand the concept. And this is basically the story in a parable form that Jesus is telling. And, it, and so you have this first servant in the story, and he is old, it says that he owes millions of dollars. And in the Greek, uh, so there's a translation that has been done for you. It says millions of dollars. But in the Greek, it's 10,000 talents. Uh, and one talent, one talent is worth 20 years' wages. Okay? So uh, I looked up the, you know, the average income in a Calgary home is $80,000. Uh, so I'm assuming that's in a, 
you know, a couple of incomes maybe in a house, and I divided that in half, 40, so let's say $40,000 in annual income. So then I uh, timed that by 20 years, and timed it by 10000 And so in our terms, this man owed about $8 billion, $8 billion. $8 billion. And I just like to say, take that, Mr. Gustafson. And you don't know who that is. That's my grade 10 math teacher that flunked me. Um, well, that was maybe a little lower than grade 10 math, but I was able to do it eventually. $8 billion. That's a lot of money. So, the guy pleads with his master, and the master forgives him the $8 billion debt. And on his way, the servant is encountered by another individual that owes him money. And it says a few thousand dollars in the text that we read. And then the Greek, it's actually one denarii, which is equal, sorry, it's, uh, it's 100 denarii, and one denarii is equal to 100 days wages. Um, and so I averaged the average wage in a day, and uh, in today's terms, it would be approximately, let's say, $11,000. So it's not an insignificant amount. How many of you guys, if you were owed $11,000, would want it back? Uh, I do. Speaking of which, Brent Johansson. Yeah, I'm just joking. Um, $11,000 is not insignificant. But the point, of the, story is, the point of the story is in comparison to $8 billion, it is insignificant. Would you agree? And so when the man refuses to do this, people are upset. They tell the king, and the king, it says, sent the man to prison to be tortured. And so this phrase in the Greek, sent the man, which, is, which you can translate handed over. This, so this idea of being handed over occurs multiple times in the New Testament. And the idea behind this phrase, handed over, is divine consent to the consequences of our own decisions. Divine consent. So it's like God taking his hand of protection off you. They say, if you insist to live that way, I actually take my hand of protection of you. I, I give divine consent for you to experience the consequences of your own decisions. And he sends him to prison to be tortured. And I believe that many of us are living in prison. Many of us are being tortured daily just like this second servant. You know, I read, a, I read a quote this past week that said, harboring unforgiveness or bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That we hang on to unforgiveness, we hang on to bitterness because we want justice. But we're looking at our situation at this micro level and this, this parable pulls it back to a macro level and for those who have experienced the forgiveness that Jesus brings, 
Jesus is saying, this is like $8 billion compared to $11,000. But yet you're insisting on holding on to that 11000 And so I believe that many of us live as prisoners. In, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16... A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus wandering in the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, comes out of the wilderness. What? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when we chatted about this? And so right after that, he goes into his public ministry, goes to the synagogue. And it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And so Isaiah was, was prophesying that when the day of the Lord comes, and Jesus saying that day was that day when he was reading, reading uh, Isaiah, that captives and prisoners would be set free. And captives and prisoners, two different types of people. You know, captives are, are actually prisoners of war, people that have gotten captured by somebody else. Some of you are captives because of what somebody else has done to you. You have been wronged. You have been hurt. There's pain in your life because of somebody else's choices that have affected you. And that has led to captivity. Some of us are prisoners. And a prisoner is a little bit different. A prisoner is someone who is living in the consequences of their own decisions that they have made. You are in prison because of something you have done, choices that you have made or haven't made. Does that make sense? We are all prisoners. This is, this, is the, this is the hard reality that the scriptures force us to come to face with, that we are all prisoners. That there are, is not one of us that has not sinned you know, in Romans it says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are all prisoners. We all have sinned. We all have a debt of $8 billion that we cannot pay. And that's what Matthew 18, that, what that parable that Jesus is telling us is trying to convey. But if you go to Isaiah 61, I think I have it on the screen. It says... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, or the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, what does the last line say? And the day of vengeance of our God. I want you to see something, if you go back a slide. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. If I were to sing you the national anthem, 
And I got to the end of the and I got to the end of the anthem and I said, Oh Canada, we what would you do? For you would you would sing the you would sing the rest of the line, right? This well-known prophetic word for the Jewish people would have been that well-known, just like O Canada is well-known to you. And so it's like Jesus gets up there, basically sings the national anthem, gets to this line, and he doesn't speak it. And then he rolls up the scroll. And it's like Jesus, at this point, what he's essentially doing is closing the book on vengeance. He's closing the book on vengeance. And as long as there is vengeance, there will always be prisoners and captives. Always. And what's... I don't have it on the screen, but if you follow the... If you follow the storyline here in Luke chapter 4, you can go ahead and do this at home this week. Um, right after Jesus does this, it says, all the people spoke well of him and were amazed. And then Jesus goes through this explanation, and he, and he basically says, uh, goes through the Old Testament and talks about these enemies of Israel that were blessed by God. And then in verse 28, six verses later, it's all the people that were amazed. Now, Switch gears and it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. It's like people all thought what Jesus was doing was awesome until they realized that the favor that God was talking about, that Jesus was talking about was also for their enemies. As a great theologian once said, named Bob Dylan, uh, you never ask questions when God is on your side. And so everybody thinks this is great, and then, and then Jesus kind of breaks the news to them. I'm not just talking about for you, but this favor of the Lord, the day of the Lord is actually for everybody. And then they get angry. They wanted to cling to vengeance. And But you notice what happens is that as they cling to vengeance, Jesus disappears from their midst. Clinging to our lust for vengeance will result in losing Jesus. It will result in the presence of Jesus actually moving away from our midst. And you go back to Matthew 18. If you remember, Peter says, Lord, how many times do we forgive? Seventy, seven times? Jesus says, 70 times seven. What does he mean by 70 times 7? If you think he means 490 times is the maximum amount of times you get to forgive, and you got a checklist kind of on your phone, you're like, okay, Brent, 16 times. Okay, so I got 454 forgiveness tallies left. Did I do that math right? 490, 490, that's right. I just, I just want to take this time to say, Mr. Gustafson, you were right. You were right. 474. So if you think the point is to keep a tally, 
then you've misunderstood it. What this is coming from, where this reference is coming from, is actually Genesis chapter 4. And so in Genesis chapter 4, you have, uh, you have Adam and Eve that give birth to Cain and Abel. You know, Cain is farming the soil. Abel, Abel's a, a shepherd. And Cain gets jealous of Abel, ends up inviting Abel to the field, kills Abel, kills his brother. The Lord confronts Cain on this and says, you know, Cain, I know what you've done. Your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And he gives, he gives Cain a punishment, and Cain says, this is, too, this is more than I can bear. And the Lord says, don't worry, I'm going to put a mark on you that anybody who, uh, I'm, I'm going to make sure I get this right. Mark on you, Cain, so that no one, uh, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven, seven times over. So I'm going to put a mark on you that anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. So pay attention to this that Jesus, or that God puts a mark on Cain to stop the cycle of vengeance. Do, do, you, see, do you hear that? that the, the seven times was actually to stop the cycle of vengeance. A few, chapter, a few verses later, so you see this genealogy, a few generations kind of go, go by, and then it gets to this guy named Lamech. And it says, Lamech said to his wives, this is in 4.23, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 70 times seven, or 77 times. There's something referred to as a lex talionis, which is, you're familiar with it, it's the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Life for a life. It's this type of idea that whatever is done to you, you can do, some, you can do to that person back. This comes from the Old Testament. Uh, the, the point of this, the point of this type of reaction was to limit the cycle of violence, limit the cycle of vengeance. But it doesn't work. As long as there's vengeance, there will always be prisoners, there will always be captives. And so what Jesus actually does is he reverses this lex talionis. He reverses this idea of retributive violence. He says, instead of repaying eye for eye, tooth for tooth, repay back forgiveness. Pay back forgiveness. And he's like, it needs to start somewhere, so I will start by forgiving you. And then you pay that back. And instead of paying back vengeance, you're actually going to pay back forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 6, we have the, the Lord's Prayer. And you guys know the Lord's Prayer. You, you can say it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive. Stop right there. Forgive us our trespasses or debts. What's the next word? As. Okay, so this, this is a really hard word for the church in the 21st century, especially the Western church. Because we, we believe, and rightfully so, that we are saved by grace alone, that forgiveness is ours. But what is throughout Scripture, throughout Jesus' teaching, is that God forgives us as we forgive those who trespass against us. You could almost think of it this way, that an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. And if we didn't catch it, Jesus follows up the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 by saying, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's essentially like this. If you think back to the parable in Matthew 18, that God lets you set the rules. And you could say, I want justice to be paid. I want vengeance. And God says to you, okay, if you want justice, that's fine, but you go first. You see the same thing in John chapter 8 with the, with the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, you know, the, the consequence of a woman caught in adultery is that they would be stoned to death according to the law. And Jesus said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And who's the only one without sin in that conversation? Jesus. And one by one, oldest to youngest, they walk away from the woman. And then Jesus says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. So just like Matthew 18, Jesus allows us to set the rules in forgiveness. He starts by forgiving us. He says, here's $8 billion debt forgiven if you want. But then as soon as we go away and say, well, I demand vengeance and justice for myself. He says, are you really sure you want to set the rules in that way? In November 30th, 1984, uh, there was a girl by the name of Candace that went missing. And the parents looked for their daughter. The parents were Cliff and Wilma for six and a half weeks. And they eventually, the police eventually found Candace dead brutally murdered, and her body found in a shed. Um, A few years back, when I was talking about forgiveness at the time, I I actually phoned Cliff and Wilma, and I talked to them on the phone uh, because I wanted just to hear the story firsthand. And um, and so they they told the story back to me about the night they found out um, that their daughter was dead. And the night that they found the body, they had a visitor that came to them. And they had a man visit them that also had a child taken and murdered earlier in his life. And the man told them, this is going to kill you too. He lost his job. He lost his health. He continued to cycle through the trial years and years later. And she told me about how he was just churning and bitterness and anger, unforgiveness. And they looked at this man and, and they said to each other, Cliff and Wilma said to each other, we don't want to become like that. 
We don't want to turn into that. Shortly after this, they were interviewed and asked about the murderer. Wilma and her husband responded saying, we don't know who did it, but we choose to forgive them. They went 22 years without knowing who did it. And about seven or eight years ago, they found the man and was charged, who did it and was charged with first-degree murder. When, when I asked them how they had the capacity to forgive them, she said, thank goodness we had a God that walked the talk. That God himself is a parent of a murdered child. That God has created a path of forgiveness for us, and because of that, we can extend it to him. She said she also had to forgive herself. She said that she was supposed to pick up Candace that day, so she carried a lot of guilt about that. But she had to forgive herself. And she acknowledged that forgiving isn't easy and it's something that she has to continually choose every day, every birthday that passes. The thought of lost grandchildren, the thought of a lost future, the choice to continue to forgive. And then I asked her, I was like, well, what about justice? You know, what about vengeance? What a... And she says, we can't do justice perfectly here. We love first we, and we do justice second, but in our world we try and do it the other way around. In hindsight, I'm glad we chose forgiveness. If we didn't do it, I don't think Cliff and I would be together. I don't think we'd be happy. If we hung on to justice, it would have destroyed us. And we do believe that God loves him and aches for him, and we pray for him every day. She says, something happens to us when we pray for him. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And even though that line, forgive as the Lord forgave you, is at the end of the verse, it's actually the first thing. As the Lord forgave you. Because forgiveness is not actually possible in the natural. Forgiveness is a supernatural act. And there's some of you this morning that um, I know you're thinking right now, you're thinking, well, you don't know what has happened to me. You don't know what's been done to me. And you're right, I don't. Many of you, I don't. And many of you have lived far harder stories than I will ever live. But I know that we both have an $8 billion, $8 billion debt that Jesus has paid for us. We have that in common. And Jesus did what only he could do, being perfect, and, and the one that could demand justice chose not to. He chose to extend forgiveness. And if you're struggling to forgive, if you're struggling to let go of bitterness, I would encourage you not to focus on trying to muster up enough forgiveness because you can't do it. You won't be able to do it. Focus on what you've been forgiven. Focus on what you have been forgiven. Because it's only when we actually realize the depth of forgiveness that we need that the Lord gives us the supernatural ability to give away what he's given to us. We receive the supernatural forgiveness and we give it away. And so... The band is going to play a song, and I'm going to, and you're just going to reflect during the first song, and then they'll invite us to, to sing a closing song together. Um, there's papers in your bulletins. I think the ushers have 
pens, pencils, uh, and they're going to hand them out if you want them. Or you can just do this on your phone. Um, and uh, I would like to basically ask you two questions, and these are the two questions. What has God forgiven you for? That's a bit past, past tense. What do you believe that God has forgiven you for? What have you asked for forgiveness for God for? And is there anything you currently need forgiveness for? I want you to ask that question first. This is just for you. Nobody else is going to look at this. Um, so just write down everything you can think of, everything that comes to your mind. And then secondly, ask the Lord, Lord, is there anyone, is there any situations that I need to extend forgiveness? Okay, and I would even reframe that question. It's, it's not even about who do I need to extend forgiveness for. It's like, ask God. God, is there anyone or any situation that you bring to mind that I need to give forgiveness to? Give forgiveness for? So let me pray, and then we'll just have a time of reflection, and then I'll come up in a, after that closing song and close. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you that we don't live in a world where vengeance has the last word, Lord, but you opened a world where forgiveness gets the last word. And Lord, we know this is difficult for many of us. Um, but God, the, the intent of forgiveness is actually to set us free those of us who are captives because of what others have done to us, those of us who are prisoners because of things that we've done. Lord, you want to set us free from captivity. You want to set us free from our own prison. You want to set us free from bitterness, from the way the enemy torments us when we demand justice. But God, we look to the cross and we recognize that you didn't demand justice that you took our sins, you absorbed our sins into yourself. And when you came back to life three days later, you didn't come back with vengeance, you actually came back and you spoke the word peace. Peace be with you. Father, I just pray that peace would reign in our hearts. Would reign in this church. Would reign in our city. Lord, that we would be so transformed by the depth of forgiveness that you've extended. It would just be so second nature for us to extend it to the next person. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. pray that you would experience the freedom of Jesus, which begins with forgiveness. Um, but by the way, the, f the first song the band did, I know Mayor would hate if I did this, but Mayor wrote that song, just so you know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to invite our, worship, or our prayer teams forward. And as you thought about those questions, 
Lord, what have you forgiven me for? What do I need to receive forgiveness for? Who do I need to forgive? Um, and this is oversimplistic, I admit. Um, but I think it's worth pondering which list is longer. You know, are, are we more aware of the justice and vengeance that we want than we are of the forgiveness that we've received? You know, I don't think it's by coincidence that Paul, who wrote most of your New Testament, one of the most influential Christians in history, considered himself the chief of sinners. His identity didn't stay there, but he understood that the amount of debt that he owed to God was only f forgiven through grace and mercy, which empowered him to lead his life with force, to give away what he had received. And so maybe this morning you, uh, you're recognizing this $8 billion debt for the first time, or maybe you're reminded of it for the hundredth time. And Jesus pulled you back from this micro picture to the macro picture. Uh, and I want to end this morning with inviting you uh, to prayer, to receive forgiveness. Um, even in this moment, you know, if you're someone who this morning the Lord is stirring you, and I think uh, Colton opened the service beautifully with the story of the prodigal son and and you just sense God's arms open wide to you, saying, I forgive you. That there's nothing that you've done that can make you, God love you less. There's nothing that is unforgivable. And that when Jesus was resurrected, he spoke the words peace. And he wants you to have peace and forgiveness in your life. And if you're in a place this morning where you're like, that's me. I, I want to receive that forgiveness. I would invite you just to come to the front. We have prayer teams that would love to pray with you. Don't even wait. I would invite you to come now. The Lord is tugging on your heart to receive forgiveness. I would invite you to come forward. what happens when a courageous person breaks the dam, right? We run a ministry uh, here at SunWest called Sozo, and it's a prayer ministry that happens on Monday nights. And it's about bringing freedom to those of us who are held captive, we're prisoners because of what other people have done for us or the own cho the choices we've made. Um, and the root reasons often revolve around unforgiveness. And if you're wrestling with through, who do I need to forgive? How do I go about forgiving? I, I would encourage you to consider going to our Sozo ministry on a Monday night.
can go to the Welcome Center in the hallway for info on that. Let me pray. Um, uh, Father, I pray for um, those this morning that uh, need to receive forgiveness. Lord, I, I pray against our, our proud hearts that just, to, that just say to you, well, I'm a good person. And Lord, we know that there's, there's truth in that because we're created in your image and that we are inherently people that reflect your glory, reflect your image, but it's been distorted by sin, by pain, by unforgiveness. And Lord, I thank you that you want to pull us out of that muck and mire. You want to pull us out of captivity. You want to pull us out of prison, that you want us to experience freedom. So Lord, we thank you that we can proclaim freedom in this place because of what you've done, because of what you extend, and that you, you, you speak to us and you say, come, come all who are weary. Come all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. in Jesus' name. Amen.